Jabukangile, Umkaya law, yeah, Bumtat, Umkaya, Pelagwim Nandekaya, and Bomteni, and just loving, 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 loving the song. It brings such good memories. I was really like knee high, but um, the memories it brings, I'd hear it at family gatherings, you know. Um, and and it, it would just you know I'd see the adults, uh, parents, aunts, and uncles dancing to it, and it's just bringing me those beautiful and warm and fuzzy feelings inside. The time is nine minutes after ten. My name is Patricia Antuli. This is Late Night Conversations. We are together until midnight. We call ourselves the A Team simply because we are the A Team. If you're on SAFM, you're part of the A Team, so don't exclude yourself from it. We are going to be having conversations that are legal today because it's a Monday. And uh, quite a lot that we need to anticipate around South Africa, especially when it comes to protests, right? Um, some of the unions have been uh, talking about protests. And I hate to say this, but we know around about this time we start entering protest season. And what does this mean for you if you're an employee and you get attacked at work? Does that mean that uh, you can claim for damages uh, from your employer? Are you covered for this? Well, we'll be looking at that issue Firstly, with Shane Johnson, who's a professional support lawyer at Weber Wenzel. And if you are employed or if your union has said there might be possible strikes, this one is definitely for you. After that, we'll talk about uh, paying an admission of guilt fine. What does this mean? Uh, what are the ramifications of it? Jerome uh, Levitz is going to be joining us. Uh, Jerome is a director at Fluxman's Law Firm. Straight after the 11 o'clock news, we go to our psychic medium uh, closet conversation um, interaction. And there we are going to be joined by Ida. Uh, and Ida is going to be talking to us uh, and helping us understand what's going on in the cosmic and spiritual realm with our personal lives. So let me give you all the details that you need to have to interact with us on the show on these topics on 011-714-2006. That's where you can call us in on. Alternatively, 011-482-1510. SMSs go to 41391 and they are charged at 150. WhatsApps, 0614-104-107 and on social media platforms at SAFM Radio at Patricia N. Ndouli. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Ndouli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. I'd like to welcome Shane Johnson, who's a professional support lawyer at Weber Wenzel. Shane, good morning. Uh, I'm saying good morning. Sorry, Shane. <laughs> My biological clock is ticking the opposite direction. So I worked in the morning and now I'm working in the evening. I was the first show on and the last show um, for the day. Uh, good evening, Shane. How are you? Good evening, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, I hope that you've had a good long weekend. Despite you working in the morning, <laughs> um, good evening to you and your listeners. Well, it's been, it's been a good weekend. Worked through the weekend, spent time with the family, so that's the most important. I hope you had a good weekend as well. Yes, thank you, I did, and also spent time with the family. Excellent. Now, we know protest season is one of those that starts looming around about this time of the year. And people who are part of protests or their employers are the one, employees are the ones protesting don't really know what their rights are, especially if they suffer any damages or any injuries. And I think it's very important for us to understand if we as employees have, uh, you know, the right to claim during a protest action. So please give us uh, an understanding. What does the law say about this? 
Great. Thanks, Patricia. Look, um, from a general perspective, if an employee suffers any kind of occupational injury or contracts some kind of disease in the workplace, we have the Compensation for Occupational Injuries and Diseases Act, which covers employees and will compensate employees um, in those instances. Um, In the instance of an employee suffering some kind of injury during protest action, um, you know, there, there's other legal questions that arise out of that, uh, out of that kind of instance. Um, and specifically, there's a new judgment which has been handed down by our Supreme Court of Appeal, which has dealt with that, that exact uh, question. But before we get to that judgment, um, I'm not sure if you have any other introductory questions or would you like us to, to go straight into that judgment? Let's jump into that judgment because I think it will set a better context and understanding for us. Perfect. So, um, as you mentioned in the introduction, um, you know, we are entering a stage where generally, you know, protest action is is possible, especially in South Africa. Um, This particular judgment dealt with protest action that occurred in April 2017. So it was a few years ago. But we do know that, you know, in the South African context, we We've seen a number of, of protests happening for many years. Um, and, and I think around 2017 was really when protest action was quite rife. Um, so in this particular case, you know, it is quite a unique case, um, just given the facts. And so I think it's quite important for us to, to go through those facts. Basically, um, in that case, uh, there was an employee who was injured during protest action. Um, she was at work. Um, it was on the 5th of April 2017. She had reported for duty um, and she was uh, about her day um, as an employee in the normal course. Um, and there was, a, there was protest action scheduled by a trade union uh, and there was, uh, that, that was to take place just outside of the workplace premises. Um, but what had happened was in the building where she worked, um, there were some employees that were involved in that protest action that then gained access into the building um, and there was a confrontation between this employee and the protesters and eventually she was actually um, picked up by some of the protesters and put into a circle of about 30 protesters and punched and pushed and shoved um, and eventually even there's even um, in the in the judgment a reference to the fact that someone took one of her shoes and threw it at her as she then tried to Uh, flee from the building um, and her husband was waiting out there to collect her Um, and so basically what happened was this employee then obviously very disgruntled um, and obviously she had suffered certain um, injuries Uh, she had gone to see a doctor and um, a medical report was produced which showed that she suffered certain bruises Um, she had swollen feet um, and other scratches etc and she also after that, suffered certain psychiatric injuries as well. Um, she was she she suffered from. She obviously felt quite humiliated after this incident. She also suffered from other uh, kinds of pain and suffering um, that you know uh, continued even after she was injured. Um, she, this eventually actually led her to resign, um, and she 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 just she actually indicated that she could no longer no longer work for the employer due to post traumatic stress disorder. Um, and she then decided to institute a claim for damages against her employer. Now, what makes this case quite unique, as, and as I've mentioned before, is that ordinarily an employee who is injured at work suffers some kind of in, uh, injury. I, I think of a common example. 
you know, if you have a warehouse, a factory work in a warehouse, for example, that uses ladders and that employee falls off of that ladder, that's actually classified as an occupational injury and the employee can claim compensation from the compensation commissioner. But in this case, um, the employee decided to claim directly from her employer. Um, and obviously the first uh I suppose uh, it, it was it's called a special plea in the high court that the employer raised was that the employee should have claimed from the compensation commissioner and not brought the claim directly for damages. The matter turns or is resolved by a very nuanced point of law, and I, and I and I want to try and explain this in obviously layman's terms because I want this to be accessible to the to the listeners. So if it's not accessible, Patricia, you'll further probe and and we can get to the. To, the, to, to it being explained in a bit more easy to understand and not legal manner. But essentially, the court said that when an accident occurs in the workplace, um, an accident has two very important elements that need to be proven. Um, the first is that it needs to occur in the course of the employee's employment. And in this case, that was there because the employee was at work and she was performing her duties. So that element was satisfied. The key, the, the second element that needs to be proven is that it needs to arise out of that employee's employment. Now, they might sound uh, similar or the same, but they actually are quite different because when we talk about whether an accident arises out of somebody's employment, we actually need to show a causal connection between that employee's injury and their employment. And in this particular case, the employer wasn't able to show that causal connection. And when you don't meet that second element, COIDA doesn't apply. So you can't claim from the compensation commissioner. Um, the reason for that is because then our compensation legislation would have been drafted in a very broad manner. We would have simply said that any injury or disease that an employee um, obtained in the workplace is compensatable under COIDA. That's not how our legislation works. It is a little bit more limited. And basically, in this case, the employee's claim fell outside of the scope of COIDA, and the employee was therefore entitled to claim directly or claim damages directly from her employer. Does that make sense? Well, for me, it does make sense. I'd like to know if my ATMs are also getting it. And, um, sure. And ATMs, perhaps you've experienced this in your workplace that you were at work and there was some protest action or a strike and there you got injured. Please call in on 011-714-2006 or WhatsApp 0614-104-107. And you can ask Shane Johnson your question. Now, Shane, in terms of, in terms of your property then, so let's take it beyond uh, you personally getting injured in the case that you have given us, but your car is parked in the basement um, at, at, at your place of work. And during the time of the protest, you are still inside the office working and your car gets damaged. Can you also claim for such? And I understand, and directly to the employer. There could be a claim, yes. Uh, look, obviously there the employee hasn't been injured um, or suffered or contracted any kind of disease. It's mere, it's actually damaged their property. So you're really going to have to look at whether there is any form of indemnity held by the employer. 
um, we all know that a lot of, and, and often workplaces, um, bu- workplace buildings are not necessarily owned by the employer. They often are rented out and they're owned by a third party. And it really depends on, you know, what those contractual arrangements between the parties say. Um, we all know that when we enter certain buildings or certain premises, we see those uh, signs that um, indemnify the owner of that property against any loss or damage that may may occur. So if your car is damaged, it really just depends on whether there is an indemnity in, in place. If there isn't, um, then we have to ask the question about who owns the building. Is it your employer or is it a third-party owner on the other hand? And, and that's where you can find out who um, is potentially liable. So in the case uh, where one is injured, uh during their um, time of employment at their place of employment due to protest action. And the claim goes out and it's not paid um, via the Occupational Injury and Disease Act, but it's paid directly by the by, by the employer. Doesn't it then seem like it's now the employee going against the employer? Because it's also not the employer's uh, responsibility, wrong word, not responsibility, but perhaps it's it's not their fault because it's not mm. the employer who has um, come up with the strike action. Correct. And I mean, that was definitely the case in this in, in this case. These employees, yes, they, they might have been the, the, the protest action had nothing to do with um, the employer in this instance. It wasn't, uh, yeah, the employer was very much far removed from this, these particular set of facts. Um, and so, yes, you know, you obviously would have an instance where the employee is going up against the employer, but this isn't a foreign concept in our, in our law. It, it deals with concepts of vicarious liability. In other words, where an employee suffers some kind of harm or damage whilst they are performing their duties, so in the course and scope of their employment, then they are entitled to claim from their employer because the employer can be held what's called vicariously liable in our law. You see, also what's important to note in this case is that the employee actually wasn't an employee of her employer anymore. She had resigned. Um, and obviously she she sought to claim as much as possible from her employer. In fact, in this case, she claimed an amount of about uh, approximately 7.5 million rand. Whether or not she will get that at the end of the day is a different story because the the actual um, amount of damages is still to be determined by the court. But um, she claimed an amount of 7.5 million rand. Hmm. as I know some of you are saying times are tough. Can there be a protest? Can someone just punch me in the face while I'm at the office? <laughs> so I can also be able uh, to claim that sort of money. Let me go to the lines. I've got Atima KK. Good evening. Good evening. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I go, I go, I'm a teacher. So I got injured at work. Uh, my... I was hit by a shock box fell from the from the wall and it hit my my nail and my nail got uh, hello. We're with you, KK. Uh, and and the, my nail got broken and they put some some wires in my nail there. Ouch! But now my my uh, that, that that thing happened a uh, long time ago in 2000, 2014 already. But so far. Uh, the doctor whom, whom I went to, the doctor who operated on me, all those kind of things, the department never paid them a cent. They, 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 they paid nothing. So I, I, just, I just want clarity as to who, am, who was I supposed to claim from and what am I entitled to 
because I've been paying my own medical fees on my own. The, 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 the department paid nothing. Even now, they're giving me runarounds. So what, what advice can you get me? All right. I just want to ask you a question, and maybe Shane might have a question for you as well. I understand that if someone is injured at work, there's uh, particular procedures that need to be followed in terms of um, reporting. Were any procedures followed by your employer at the school level? Come on in. Were any forms or procedural forms uh, filled out and followed when you got injured at school? Yes, my principal did all those things. Uh, we submitted all, the, all the, the, the necessary documents, as I know, from my principal, but uh, nothing so far. The department has even moved an inch. Shane, do, do you have follow-up questions for KK? No follow-up questions, uh, Patricia, but I think that this is a case of the employer having, it sounds as if, you know, the protocol has been followed at the school and the forms have been submitted at least to the Department of Education for them for them to then relay those forms um, and follow the correct procedure in applying to the Compensation Commissioner. Now, obviously, whether or not that, that has happened is, you know, something which KK doesn't know and obviously we don't know as well. So I would say that it is a case of him trying his best to follow up with probably the HR officials, HR officials at the Department of uh, at the Department of Education um, to see, uh, you know, what the progress is. And of course, if that doesn't work, um, he can contact the um, office of the Compensation Commissioner directly. They, those details are publicly available mm-hmm. on the Compensation website, and he mm-hmm. can he can try and and and. Um, you know, follow up on the status of his claim. And I'm sure if he just gives them his ID number and his full name, he'd be able to to get some clarity on whether the claim has been submitted. KK, I hear that you wanted to come in there. Um, have you tried to follow up? Yes, I tried to follow up with the Department of Education, but they're not even the HR. It's like when they see me, they run away. So yes. I don't know. Okay, I, I would advise you, KK, to go maybe, on to maybe, the... Maybe what, can you just tell me, what am I entitled to? What what? You, what, what, what was supposed to happen after I got it in What, 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 what I, I don't, I don't, I just want to understand because they tell me, oh no, I'm a, I'm a government employee, therefore I'm not entitled to, 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 to the compensation from the compensation fund because I, I receive my salary anyway. That's what they're telling me. Um, look, KK, you, I obviously won't be able to tell you of, of, based on based on the information you provided over a phone call and after seeing the documents myself. Um, and also, given that your claim is still outstanding, I mean, it hasn't been determined by the compensation commissioner. So I I don't know, you know, what what the value of the compensation is going to be. Um, there's there's no way I can tell you that that right now. But um, essentially, you would need to complete certain. Well, you as well as your employer would need to complete certain forms, submit certain information. Um, obviously, critical information that deals with the accident, such as medical reports. Um, and as well as proof of all those medical costs that were incurred, etc. And then the compensation commissioner will make a call as to the level of compensation that you'd be entitled to receive. And based on your injury, you'd either be entitled to temporary compensation, um, that could be in the form of a lump sum payment or a few monthly payments, or permanent compensation, depending on the level you know, of disablement. If you suffer from a now permanent disability, you may be entitled to compensation you know, for a the rest of your life um but yeah you i would advise that you contact the the compensation commissioner directly um 
and inquire about the status of your case. It, you know what, if KK is saying that uh, HR department personnel is avoiding him and run away from him, it's possible that they haven't submitted it to the compensation. So KK, get the proof that everything was submitted um, and then make sure that you know when, I mean, it's obviously done either by fax or email, there should be a trail. So follow yeah. that paper trail and uh, yeah, good luck. You know, Shane, when I'm hearing what KK is saying, one of the things that are coming to mind is the fact that some employers, when a person contracts disease or is injured at work, they take advantage of people's uh, in, uh, pe- people's ignorance of the law around compensation. Because how can KK say he's being told that you've been getting a salary, you're a government employee, no compensation for you? And he's hearing it from HR personnel as opposed to hearing it from the compensation fund. But he's paying all his medical bills while injured at work. Yes. Look, um, uh, I can't discount the fact that that may be a possibility and there might be employers that, um, you know, that that are doing up, uh, conducting such practices. Um, But the point of COIDA um, is to indemnify the employer from having to pay for any damages resulting from occupational injuries and diseases. So it's difficult also for me to fully, you know, understand or appreciate why an employer would not want to further the process and try and get their employees covered because at the end of the day that's the whole point about this kind of insurance right it's to indemnify the employer and avoid them having to pay those costs themselves so look uh, we also have to appreciate obviously patricia that there are uh we we need to be fully aware or appraised of the facts of the matter in order for us to fully you know give advice on on exactly what what went wrong in KK's scenario. And I'm glad you said you you mentioned the word that this is an insurance and doesn't your insurance premium increase every time you lay a claim? Could this not be the case for some employers who don't want uh, their premiums to be increased? Um, Look, I'd have to check on the the exact policies and procedures of COIDA. Um, That's not exactly my understanding. I think that Yes, there, there definitely is an increase, you know, on an annual basis um, based on inflation, but I'm not aware of whether it, it will be increased if there are claims. Um, uh, look, in, in the ordinary sense, yes, I agree with you, Patricia, but I'm not sure if that's exactly how it works in, the comp- in terms of the um, compensation fund. Let me go to another A-team on the line, Jay. Jay, good evening. Hi, good evening, and good evening to our guests. Just one question I want you to find out. This Compensation Act, is it uh, similar to the insurance companies where you take out an accidental um, cover uh, at work or things like that? The other question is, isn't it possible now with so much of violence that's going on at tertiaries and high schools, even right up to primary school, to institute that parents must take out an insurance cover should the child or pupil do anything to the educators or to the building and uh, the school now will have to uh, get the parents to get the insurance to pay for the damages that will put a deter to any kind of violence in and around the surroundings of the school premises and to other pupils thanks jay let's allow shane okay. to weigh in okay Good. Those are both very interesting questions. On the first question, um, just a simple answer to that is yes, it is, it is similar to general insurance. 
Um, obviously, the only difference is that this is actually based on specialized legislation for occupational injuries and occupational diseases that are contracted by an employee. So works very much similarly in that you do have to pay a monthly premium per employee um, over to the compensation fund um, on a monthly basis. And then obviously based, you, you will then be able to claim based on any occupational injuries or diseases that may arise. In terms of your second question, I'm actually an expert in occupational injuries and diseases and employment law, not an insurance expert. But I hear what you are saying, and, and especially in the current climate um, where protest action is quite rife, especially in our tertiary education and schools, um, it may be a good idea to consider that kind of insurance. But again, um, I'm not an expert in insurance, um, and we'd, we'd have to speak to, to somebody who specializes in that area of law. Shane, how important is it uh, for people who are employed uh, to have legal representatives, uh, representatives um, especially for issues like this? Because, I mean, I'm thinking of KK's uh, scenario that yes. if he had a lawyer, he might not be getting the runaround he's getting right now. He might have had his answers from 2014 to date. It's too many years. Yes. Um, look, I think that in many instances, you know, um, involving lawyers often complicate scenarios. <laughs> um, and that's why, you know, most of the time these things should be dealt with um, without lawyers. Um, it should be an employee being able to go to their HR department or go to their managing, man, the manage, their line, direct line manager and raise whatever query or issue that they have. I mean, that's the whole point behind our current labor relations regime. Um, is to make it uh, more easy for employees to resolve any issues or grievances that they encounter in the workplace. But of course, like in KK scenario, where we see that there is, you know, some kind of failure by the employer to act, you know, where on the face of it, based on what he has told us, um, there, there could be a claim for compensation, then yes, um, it's very important that the, that there is some kind of legal representation, particularly for the employee, because there is that unequal bargaining power and possibly also that lack of knowledge on the part of the employee to be able to take the necessary steps um, to, you know, uh, take their claim forward. And, and without that legal representation, the, the employee simply doesn't know what to do. Shane, you've really opened up our eyes in terms of understanding what the employer's responsibility is and how the Compensation for Occupation Injury and Disease Act works. Could you kindly give us contact details for uh, Weber Wenzel and yourself in case our A-teamers need your assistance? Yes. Um, if anybody would like to contact me personally, they're welcome to send me an email. My email address is shane.johnson at com. You can also read up a bit more about Weber Wenzel and the services we offer at com, our website. Um, the head of our occupational um, health and safety team is Kate Collier, um, and Kate would also be more than welcome, uh, more than willing to take any um, uh, or to answer any calls or queries um, relating to COIDA. Thank you very much for joining us, Shane. Thank you, Patricia. Have a great evening. Bye.